Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Far-Fetched Fables, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Tales to Terrify and Starship Sofa. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening from, this is Far-Fetched Fables. Welcome to show number 151. This week, we bring you a little Arthurian legend meets Lovecraftian horror in the form of The Blind Queen's Daughter by Scott Huggins. Scott grew up in the American Midwest and has lived there all his life, except for interludes in the European Midwest... Germany, and East, Russia. He is currently responsible for securing America's future by teaching its past to high school students, many of whom learn things before going to college. His preferred method of teaching and examination is strategic warfare. He loves to read high fantasy, space opera, and parodies of the same. He wants to be a hybrid of G.K. Chesterton and Terry Pratchett once he counteracts the effects of having grown up. When he's not teaching or writing, he devotes himself to his wife, their three children, and his cat. His story is read by a newcomer to the Triple F, Matt Dovey. Matt is very tall and very English, and most likely drinking a cup of tea right now. He has a scar on his arm that he can't remember getting, but a terrible darkness floods his mind when he considers it. He now lives in a quiet market town in rural England, with his wife and three children. And, despite being a writer... He still hasn't found the right words to properly express the delight and joy he finds in this wonderful arrangement. His surname rhymes with Dopey, but any other similarities to the dwarf are purely coincidental. He's the Golden Pen winner for Writers of the Future, Volume 32, 2016, was shortlisted for the James White Award in 2016, and has fiction out and forthcoming all over the place. You can keep up with it via the links in our show notes. And now, The Blind Queen's Daughter by Scott Huggins. The heavy mole swung inward, the only thunder in the soft morning rain. The priests watched, trembling. The small man from Arabia stared hungrily at the widening hole. The brick sealing the cell shivered, and Amran watched his father's jaw tremble under the blow. Tremble, as it never had in two desperate battles. Not even when the men of his auxilia fell about him in desperate retreat, 
had Amran seen Sir Bedwyr's face show fear? Until now. And the Roman legates looked on, sneering. The brick fell inward under the final blow, and only gelid, tomb-like darkness crouched within. Perhaps she is dead. How long had she dwelt in this three-windowed cell, sealed up in brick, lest her anchoress's vows of solitude prove, like her wedding vows, too weak? Since before my birth, nearly twenty years ago, how could she but die, if she had not gone mad? But from within the cell, a scraping of feet echoed, and a shape emerged, its dark cloak held fast about by two alabaster hands. Amran's breath caught. Stiff with age she moved, her stiff hands veined like marble, reached up, removed her cow. Bedwyr, she said, it has been long. Amran sucked in his breath. The rain caught in the raven-dark hair like glass beads. They glowed in the whiteness of her skin. Her eyes were the gold of a summer dusk. Rich, dark gold shot through her hair in strands as well. Gwynhuivar, the white enchantress. Not long enough, my lady, returned Sir Bedwyr softly. Is this your son? she asked and Amran felt his blood heat against his will with those eyes on him. Aye, his name is Amran. Sir Amran. Amran shook himself, resolved not to show fear or shame, though the honour was scarce two hours old. He felt his unworthiness deeply, and the cryptic wrongness of it. The smell had choked him in the vast hall of Caerlon. The legate was left without, clearly relieved not to be wanted. His father had walked quickly past the tattered legion banners, the empty round table, and Amran followed. When the veiled sisters had opened the doors to the king's chamber, the bile rose in Amran's throat. Edwin, said the cassock shape in the chair. It was bent so far over, Amran thought it would topple at any second. Its white head lifted, bowed down under a long, carefully tended beard and the lightest of gold circlets. Beneath it, a black spreading pool of liquid. Edwin, repeated the voice, full of pain. Have you come, at last, to end it? Aye, sire, said his father, voice grim. It ends soon. Grant me this last boon. King Arthur coughed, grimaced and spat. It was blood that he spat, and, Amna realised, his own dark blood had also dripped through the black cassock onto the ground. Knighthood of Boon? A fool's wish. And who knows it better than you? Which of my knights has seen more of my folly, and yet lives? Sir Kay is dead. Sir Gwyne, dead. This is your son, not a corpse. Do you call your life a boon? The only life I could have borne said Sir Bedwyr. And you swore, sire. Wearily, Arthur nodded. Swore. So you do as I ask. Help me. Arthur's right hand crept out and clawed at a dark hilt. Sir Bedwyr crossed to his side and helped the old king lift the great blade. The polished gems on its scabbard and pommel glowed in the room. Sir Bedwyr steadied the sheathed blade. Kneel, his father said, 
last night of Arthur the High King, Dux Britannorum of Rome. I dub thee, gasped Arthur, Sir Amran, Knight of the Round Table. Then he broke off in a coughing fit, and the sisters had rushed in to lift him from the chair to the bed. Amran had only a glimpse of Arthur's flesh as they laid him, still frozen in his bent curve, on the bed, before his father took him by the shoulder and hoisted him to his feet. His wound below the ribs bled reddish-black, and maggots spilled from the ragged flesh. It was not until the door was shut, and they stood again in the lesser stench of the great hall, that Amran noticed his father still held Arthur's great sword. Kaledvulk, Excalibur, the legate named it. He is worse now, said Sir Bedwyr. Yet while this sword and its scabbard remain, he cannot die. They hold him, past the dignity of the grave and his hope of heaven. Amran found his voice. Why has no one taken it from him until now? Sir Bedwyr frowned. Are you truly so blind as that boy? He is all that has kept our folk and the faith alive since Camlan. Amran's brows drew down. I did not see him or that sword at Carmarthen when the sexton swelled about the tall like a sea of blades. He had lost friends there before Sir Bedwyr's desperate charge had cut them a path home. They all had. And yet his father reddened and raised a hand as if to strike him. Then he lowered it. The Saxon, the barbarians are worries for our legate in Rome, but they are the least of our foes, as you shall learn. Arthur's fight is against others. He is at the end of his strength now, as are we all. There are none left to return his blade. It is your duty, Sir Amran. And he held forth the sword. More frightened than he had ever been, Amran nervously took it. Sir Amran, said Guinevere, Arthur's queen, I greet you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. She signed the cross, and Amran knelt, remembering that she was an anchoress and a holy lady. Kaledvulk caught awkwardly on the ground. How may I serve, my lady? The words tumbled out. Guinevere nodded. Return the sword you bear. He looked up began to fumble with the belt. No! She looked at her feet. Speech is not so easy as once it was. Forgive me. You must return it, to the White Tower of Avalon, whence it came, so that I and my sisters may take the king on one last journey. Amran stammered. I... Gladly, lady, but I know not the way to Avalon. Will you show me? Gwynhuivar shook her head sadly. I have strength for but one journey hence, and that I owe to Arthur. But you shall be guided. She beckoned to the darkness, and another shape emerged. Cowled, it was, like the lady, but lighter. White were the hands folded before the robe, and yet they shone like the clouded moon. But its face was covered. From all the watchers she heard a gasp. So Bedwyr found a voice. Is it possible? The priests crossed themselves. Yes, said Gwynhuivar. She is Mordred's, and mine. Her name is Gwynhuivac. She will guide you into Avalon, and you will have need of her. For your son and my daughter must open the way for us. 
What is this nonsense? spat the legate. Some pagan witchery? He rounded on Bedwyr. Have you and Artorius lost your wits at last? The Saxons are not five days away. I sent for arms to Rome and was not surprised to get this. He waved at the Arab, arrived just yesterday. It's all they have to spare. But you told me you had a hope. I trusted you. Then trust but a bit further, said the small man, who was now at the legate's elbow. For your soul. He was middle-aged and spoke in Latin, with the oddest accent Amran had ever heard. Your message was received by the Holy Father. He sent for me. Before the legate could answer, the man continued, Show yourself, child. Grinhuivak stepped forward. She threw back her cow. Her face was almost the mirror of her mother's. Her hair was black as night, her lips red as blood, and her eyes were sewn shut with golden thread. Merciful Jesu! cried an acolyte. One of the priests fainted, and a sister, too. The dark man merely nodded. A most excellent guide to Avalon, he stepped forward. Even in my home, lady, I have heard of you. I am Abdullah al-Hazrat. These last words were run together, and sounded almost to Amun like Abdullah al-Hazrat. From Rome? the lady asked in the same tongue. The guide of the mind? From what you call Arabia, and yes, to accompany the guide of the spirit. He turned to Amran. We are your guides, Equity, to Avalon, and now I must see this sword and speak with this great lady, for whose sake I have travelled far and do travel further. They retreated into the church, followed by the eldest of the priests. Gwynhuival's daughter took her elbow and followed her mother, stumbling over the unfamiliar ground. Amran stepped back into something and whirled. He had backed into his father, in Jesus' name, sire, what is all this? Sir Bedwyr looked down at his son like a man awoken from a dream. His eyes hardened. You know the tales of my youth, son. Once this Kerlon was the very throne of honour, imperial jewel of the West under Arthur, Duxon High King, and Grinhurifar, the White, of Avalon. Their blessed union held the realm together, and we, their knights, the guardians of their peace and defenders of our folk, before Arthur, inspelled by Morigena, betrayed her, and Gwynhuifar, in silent rage, took Mordred's side and joined with him. And that's Mordred's daughter? He shuddered at the thought. She was at least two years his elder, and all that time, sealed up by brick and her mother's vows. But three windows on the world, two upon the world and one upon the church, and even that light denied her. Why is she blinded? I know not, said Bedwyr. None of us knew of her until now, I swear by God. We would never have... to a child. His voice trailed off, and Amran saw his father fight back tears. But hear me. Nearly all was lost at Camlan. You see how hurt he is. Yet he endured, for his name alone kept the realm together. But now it must end, before his spirit breaks, and takes hers with him. They know their sins, and have both the more penance an ordinary men can bear. Yet that is not enough. Arthur's sword, which you now bear, must be returned whence it came, by their knight, and you are the last with the strength. He has made no more knights since Camelon, lest their souls be bound to his despair. I am sorry, son, but it falls to us to set this right. Aaron bowed. Did you think to find me wanting, father? Never, son. 
A gentle rain ran down Bedwyr's face. Quietly, he pressed a strange, thin dagger into Amran's hands. This is Khan Renan, he muttered, and though I stole it, t'will serve Arthur better in thy hand than in his. Fight as thou hast ever fought, and wilt make me proud. Running footsteps interrupted father and son. It was the Arab. His eyes were alight with a strange look, and he clasped a thick tome to his breast. When he spoke, his voice was ragged. Fools, not to send for help before this. We must ride now, or all is lost. What knowledge is mine I will share with thee, but there is no time. Saddle and ride. We have no more than two sunsets before the way is forever shut. The three of them rode, and Sir Amran's head swam as the sun rose. Gunhuifach rode behind him, her white hands clasped loosely about his waist. The sealed eyes in the back of his neck made his hair stand on end. It was a relief when the Arab began talking. Gunhuifach and Excalibur came from Avalon, Al-Hazrat said, when the horses left the road and they had to slow, to make an alliance, an alliance of spirit, to prepare the way for the world's salvation. Even then Rome was falling, eaten from within and without by the shadows of the elder gods, now starving for lack of souls since Constantine darkened their temples. Did you think they would sit idle? Did you think it was coincidence that the wastes of Leng disgorged the Xiongnu to drive the Alamanni and the Hun against the gates of Rome? Happenstance that plague ravaged the land from Caledonia to Arabia? Arthur and Gwynhuafar were to unite, as had not happened since the days of Atlantis, and bring a piece of the blessed realm again to earth, for a time while they were needed. What happened then? Like so many, they were not worthy of their place. They betrayed one another, for lust, for power. The round table was broken, and of the thousand million souls who would have been safe in Arthur's empire, all now lie in danger of damnation, prey of the elder ones. Only Caerlon, where Arthur sits dying, remains. Gwynhuivach spoke from behind him. His strength must not fail on this side of Avalon. I thought he could not die, said Amun. Not truly die, said Alhazrat, but his body must join the half of his soul that has left the world. If it does not, his soul that remains will fall to the evil it has fought so long against, to which it is now bound. Is he not bound to Avalon? He is, said the Arab, but the way to Avalon is closed by his own betrayal, and the other side of that gate is not now Avalon, but the other world. Amran swallowed. Anne, do not speak that name, screamed the Arab. You give it power. It is the other world. The other world that hungered and lay drenched in the blood of the vanished. The realm of shadows where King Aron and his wild hunt ruled. It is a place, a true place. Thither we go, said Alhazrat, pulling up his horse and fixing Amran with a stare. Beneath the shadow of the dark tower, only there can the final fall of Arthur and Gwynuivar be stopped. There we fight, and must win through to Avalon, opening it again for Arthur, that he may find rest. I shall open the way. She will be our guide, and you, Sir Amran, must wield the sword and return it. Gunhufach's hand fell to the hilt of the great sword that hung at his side. Excalibur, she said, giving its Latin name. She spoke no other tongue. The sword that cut steel. Her voice was low. She took a deep breath. A scent of rain all around, she said, like living in a giant window. Now turn thither, she pointed without looking. 
How do you know? he asked. I was born for this. Again, Amon heard Gwynhuaval's last words to her daughter as they approached. Ever forgive the unforgivable? Know only that you know all you need. Then Gwynhuaval had turned to him and gripped his arm with hands as cold and strong as stone. Yet he could not look away from those golden eyes. Trust my daughter. Guard her. She will tell you what you need to know. Ask nothing else. And she was gone, walking toward the castle. She had lived all her life shut in a six-hour square room. She had been born there, with her mother, alone. She stumbled over every twig, and yet she guided them. How could she have been born for this, with such a life? "'Tis darkling,' he finally said. "'We must camp.' The Arab reluctantly reined in and nodded. "'We may yet find the causeway and the gate, "'and if we ride in darkness, we may be found.' Almost Amran had drifted off when she came to him. He started at the dark shape, but she threw back her cow. The gold thread sealing her eyes caught the ember's glow, and though she was blind, her raven-crowned face watched him nonetheless. "'Do you fear me?' she asked. "'I fear your guidance,' he said. "'Have you ever seen anything?' She touched the threads. "'My mother bound my eyes soon after birth. I have seen nothing with them. How can you know the way? If you mislead us, we are lost, and if you lead us to the other world—' "'In the other world,' she said, sitting beside him, "'I shall have sight, and you shall see by it. "'Trust nothing there that you see yourself. "'It is the realm of shadows, "'and the Horn King's servants see you by those shadows.' "'You speak in riddles,' he said. "'All shall be plain then,' she said. "'I shall lead you by the safest paths, "'but you must trust me with your life and soul.' "'I shall trust you, lady.' "'She shook her head. "'Your word is not enough.' Not in this. You would not break it willfully, but you must not hesitate, and nor must I. We must be one in all things, even as as Arthur and my mother once were one, before they fell. What are you saying, lady? he asked. She moved closer. The king and queen were joined to rule this realm, the blood of men and the blood of Avalon. No other union can prevail against the horned king's darkness on his ground. We must go thence together, or we shall die. Amran's mouth worked soundlessly. There is no priest here, he said at last. There was no priest in Eden, said Gwynhuivach. And yet Adam took Eve to wife. I know thee not, she said, except that thou art prepared to fight the greatest evil of our time, because it is thy duty. I know thou art afraid, even as I, and yet you will not turn aside. I beg thee, be my husband and my love, so we may have some chance of victory. Her face was nearly touching his, and Amran felt his blood race. Lady, may I not look you in the eyes if we are to be wed? It would be your death, yet in the morning you shall open them. He nodded. Let it be as you say, lady. She touched his face with one hand. It was cool, not cold. I, Gwynhuifach, take thee, Amran, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, with God and his creation witness. He touched her, 
and her face was warm. I, Amran, take thee, Grinhurvach, to my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, with God and his creation witness. They kissed then, and surrounded by the dark they feared, opened to one another and knew each other, trusting beyond reason in this kingdom where reason had failed, and slept beneath the stars of heaven one night together. Before they slept, she murmured to him, When we enter the other world, you must open my eyes. Stolen Cairnwenen will open them. Make but one stroke, and I shall have my sight. How did you know that I had it? She kissed him, then. My husband, I see more with these eyes and my hands than you can imagine. Though I stumble in this world, think me not a babe. I have trained in a school whose doors are as closed to you as Swordcraft is to me. Trust me as I trust you, and all will be well. That night Amran slept, without fear. In the morning they set off again, and though Amran's soul seemed still and calm, he saw Alhazrat's face grow more drawn, and his paging through his leprous, leather-bound journal grow ever wilder each time that Gwynhuvac changed their course. "'What is it, friend?' he said at last. The man started, and he hunched over his saddle. "'This land is strange to me,' Alhazrat muttered. "'I see none of the signs I have studied for. I know that she must guide us, but I mislike her lack of learning.' I have built my life on study, boy. This book, he stroked it, is my life's work. The horned king in his tower. I know another name, one even he acknowledges for true. This is the moment when I test whether all my studies count for aught. But I swear by Allah, I shall open for you the way if your woman finds the causeway. Though the sun fell, and Abdullah al-Hazrat sank further into a muttering fugue, though Amran began to hear strange sounds, Gwynhuvach never faltered. At last they descended south, to the greying beach at the end of David. But now the beach stretched on, and seemed to have no end. The wood they had just left was veiled in fog that seemed more distant than mist. Ahead the stars rose above a shallow path, into the sea that bulged and faded into the dark waters, in directions that clawed Amran's mind. And the hard and gibber stars that rose were not the stars that Amran knew. Allahu Allahim, cried Al-Hazrat, he has shown me the way, and now I shall defend his children with the knowledge he has led me to. Shaking his turban askew, he clutched his book to him and stepped to the very edge of the water. From beneath his robes he took a vial of clearest crystal and poured out a green and red fluid in a semicircle around him. He then drank off the dregs. He opened the scrawled pages. Ya, he cried in a great voice. Ya Abdullah has led, yoksof of he. Geb, Gunhurvak screamed and pressed her hands to her ears. Amran vomited at the sound of the unclean tongue. The earth heaved, and at the end of the causeway, a dark island loomed through the darkness, as if it had been there all along. Behind them, the mist fell like a solid wall. Like a man in a fever dream, the Arab stepped out onto the causeway, and where he stepped, the water would not touch him, and the black, jellied mass of the causeway turned to solid rock. Amran could not tell if they walked a mile, or only seven steps. They stood upon the shore of the other world, where the strange stars shone like moons, and black mountains or towers reared to block the middle sky. There was no way back, and all the land was darkness. 
In the darkness, Gunhuevach shone like a sword. Amon raised his shield and drew Excalibur. Its pommel glowed like burning blood, but did not pierce the darkness. Gunhuevach turned to him. We are arrived unseen, she said. Afterward, Amon remembered her until then unseen smile, the way his heart lifted beneath it. I know the way, we... But a shriek in Latin rose and pierced the darkness. Kadath, the tower rises. Allah, it rises for ever. And we... He shot a glance behind him. We are too close. We are lost and... He gripped Amran by the sword arm. I was wrong. The dragon of the thousand young awakes. The horned king bounds and... And he has but an aspect. The utmost gate is open. Yuxothoth has seen. It knows my name. He turned to flee. But the shadows... The glabrous, solid shadows with no colour curled about him and pulled. Amran swung at the darkness, but clove only foul air. Amran! cried Gwynhuavach. My eyes! Amran drove Excalibur into the ground and felt it tremble. He drew her to himself beneath his shield and slid Kenwenen from its sheath. The glassy blade made two swift cuts and the soft gold thread parted, leaving a single drop of blood on each closed lid. She kissed him then. Now I shall be thy light. She turned away. He could not see her face, but he knew when her eyes opened, for the shadows parted beneath him as before a bonfire of stars. He saw the dead grey land, a high plateau whose walls were a city of ten thousand doors that sprouted numberless towers, and one, a pillar like a hole in the sky, that rose up to touch forever. The dark tower. He saw the gibbering, ravening things that poured out from them, He saw tentacles sliding back into the ground, dragging shreds of turban and tattered pages. He saw the top of the tower, saw it unfold and scuttle through the air on wings of night. Sir Amran wrenched Excalibur from the ground, rooted to the spot with terror. The howling host of shadows charged, but where Gwynhuvach looked, the killing light of her gaze stripped the shadows from them, dragging the formless terror screaming into visibility and space, freezing them to stone. Now I know Perseus' peril, he thought. Medusa killed with beauty, not with fear. And then the dragon stooped. The wind of its passage ripped them from their feet. The shock of its landing slammed the breath from them. A dozen eyes streamed cold and pallid hate from beneath curling goat horns. Its thick, cartilaginous plates twisted wetly. It scuttled on a hundred legs with the scream of damned souls. Staggering to his feet, Amon saw that this was what they were, the lower parts of men, their upper halves fused and melted into the belly of the great worm, forever screaming with the pain of moving its purulent bulk forward. Upon its back, between the horns, Amon saw the yellow-eyed, the horned god-king of the other world. All hope left him. But he would not run. Here he would die. He raised his sword, The horned king laughed and spoke a lazy word. The tail of the dragon whipped around faster than thought, shattering Amran's shield, felling him to the dead ground. Above him, the dragon reared to devour. And then Gwynhuavach knelt over him, opening her eyes. The dragon screamed and Amran's ears bled. Its cartilage petrified and hardened, cracked, crumbled away. The dragon cried in pain and tottered, its legs snapping beneath it. And yet it rose upon its belly, undying. Strike Amran, now! He could not reach it with Excalibur. With his left hand he drew Ken Wenin 
and flung it at the cracked and bleeding flesh. A spire of light traced through the air and struck. The dragon screamed and fell. Amran dived away, was flung away by the shock. Vision blurred, he came upon his feet. A tall shape rose from the wreck and screamed in rage. It flung something that glowed. Gwynhuevach screamed. She knelt upon the ground. It strode toward her, eyes blazing with vengeance, mouthless face writhing in fury. Amran raised Excalibur aloft. Aron! he cried. At the sound of its name, it turned from its victim and fixed its yellow-eyed gaze upon him. Amran's skin boiled. He felt his flesh begin to melt, sliding from his bones, his soul sliding, too, and sensed a great and deathless prison open its jaws to consume him forever. And then Gwynhuevach looked upon him. Her eyes blazed with the beauty of twin colourless suns. Elsewhere they would have killed him. But here, beneath the putrescent glare of the horned king, they were an antivenin, and he felt his flesh firm, harden. The king's eyes widened, and he drew a steel sword, black as the void between dying worlds. Excalibur leapt to meet it, pommel flaring with a reddish blood as the blades met. Sure, sliced through. It fell, Mauler's head rolling on a plain, barren even of dust. Amran knelt beside his wife. Her eyes were closed again, to keep him safe. And from her side the white hilt of Kenwellen jutted, a font of crimson pouring on the ground. The other world shook, but still he held her. He felt the ground split apart, receding, and did not care. She raised her face to his. Please, she said, take it out. It was the first time that his wife had sounded like only a woman, a frightened woman, in pain. He eased the blade out, and her blood gushed forth. The wound was mortal. Look upon me he whispered. Her gaze would turn his flesh to stone, and stone felt nothing. Not for the world, she whispered back. He felt a wild hope. With fumbling fingers, he loosened the scabbard at his belt. He belted it about her. She could not die if she wore the sword. He fastened it firmly upon her, as cleansing waves washed about their feet. They mixed with the blood, which did not slow. She smiled at him, but it was a sad smile. Yes, love, now I cannot die. But you saw Arthur's wound, dealt by weapons of this realm. I know you would not wish that for me. For just a moment I hoped, but no. I knew how this would end. The waves were waist-high now. The other world was sinking. In the distant dawn, a verdant isle rose in the east, its white tower shining in the twilight. He saw Gwynhuevach turn from him and look thence, toward home. The way to Avalon is clear, and I will take the sword. She drew it and held it aloft over her head. Let them behold our victory, and when we meet again, I will look you in the face, and never look away. The land stood firm beneath his feet, while she slipped from him into the waves. Amran cried great sobs into the sea, unashamed, he knew she held the causeway to Caerlon's shore open behind him, but could not look away from the white hand, holding the sword above the surface of the waves, until she faded from sight beneath the white tower. 
If, dear listeners, you'd like to share your thoughts on this or any of our stories, you can leave your comments on the Triple F website, our Facebook page, or on Twitter. We love hearing from our listeners, and we want to know your thoughts on our content. As always, please leave us a review on iTunes, Acast, or other podcatchers, so that we can build our listenership and keep the stories flowing. Please consider making a donation on the District of Wonders Patreon page, so that we can keep the podcast up and running. I'm your host, Nicholas Seaton Clark, and my thanks, as always, go to Gary Dowell, my editor, and Mark Zenfardino, our audio engineer extraordinaire. And lastly, please remember that Farfetched Fables operates under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License, which means you can download the content and share it all you like, but don't change it and don't sell it. And please be sure to give credit where that credit is due. All other copyright remains that of the authors, and violators will be denied entry into Avalon. I'm off to go and organise my week. Wish me luck. I'll see you all next time. Bye now. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www. Districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.